This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are diving into how to plan out an entire year of training and nutrition for physique development. So really, since it is almost the start of 2021, at the time I'm releasing this, we can basically look at this as how would we periodize an entire year of training and nutrition for an online client to help you at the end of the year have by far your best physique ever. Not just focusing on like, hey, we're gonna get you ripped in 30 days, but no, what does the long game need to look like for you to truly look back and say, damn, I completely transformed my body forever during 2021? Because the reality is, specific results never happen without a specific plan. So probably, despite all the hard work you put into the gym and the kitchen over the last few years, you still don't have the physique that you want. And you might even feel like your progress has been stagnant for a while now. And really, there's one reason for this, because effort alone isn't enough anymore. Really, we both know you work your ass off when you have a goal, so effort likely isn't the missing piece for you in most areas of your life. I can say that very confidently because every single client that we attract is in the same boat. And honestly, this is very similar to how Andrea and I are. It's never a lack of drive or people hop on board that like, hey, I really just need you to kick me in the ass and like motivate me. It's more so people that are already working their asses off. Oh, it's always people that are already working their asses off. Hey, I just need more structure and more direction and I can take that and I can run with it. So really you're missing the planning, periodization, structure, and specificity with both your training and nutrition needed to finally achieve your best physique ever. Now, 2021 can be the year you change that if you're willing to take a more structured, evidence-based approach to transforming your body and commit to learning how to properly plan your training and nutrition across the year. So this time next year, you could have a completely transformed body or you could be stuck in the same rut you're in now. Choice is yours. So if you're ready to finally achieve the level of aesthetics and performance you've always wanted, today's podcast is your complete guide to playing out your year month by month for the ultimate physique transformation. I can tell you right out of the gate, this is gonna be a long one. So let's go ahead and dive into it without any further ado. Starting with month one. Now realize that throughout this podcast, I'm going to be referring to the nutrition strategies and training strategies that you'll be implementing month by month. And really even more so for our online clients, we break this down. Like when you start coaching with us, we break down the first six months, week by week, what we estimate our nutrition strategy, our training strategy, et cetera, will be like rate of gain, rate of loss, et cetera, week by week. Here we're kind of looking at this on a more macro scale and taking it month by month. So month one, your nutrition strategy is building. So we're starting month one off embracing one simple truth. Most people haven't spent enough time focusing on fueling their performance and building muscle. Instead, you've likely spent most of your training career dieting and trying to get leaner. And while your goal physique likely does entail you being a bit leaner than you are currently, we're actually gonna start this year off focusing on building rather than losing. Now this might sound counterintuitive at first, but really time dedicated to building is likely exactly what you're missing. Because most men and women alike who start online coaching with us don't yet have the amount of lean muscle needed to achieve the physique that they want. And for someone who's been training as consistently as you have for likely over two years now, you likely won't be able to add much muscle without going through a proper building phase. So basically what we're doing now, although not instantly gratifying, like starting with a fat loss phase would be, is going to set you up to have a much better body composition later in the year and really for the rest of your life. And this is periodization in a nutshell, right? Stepping away from the micro view of what do I need to do to achieve the best physique now, which is the mistake most new online clients were making before working with us, and getting you to consider the macro view of what does my next year or years need to look like to achieve my greatest potential? 
So a few building phase guidelines for you. First, rate of gain should be to aim to gain about 0.25 to 0.5% of body weight every one to two weeks. Now, building muscle is a very slow process, and you just don't need to eat that many calories over your maintenance intake to build muscle. We also know that you can build muscle without eating in a calorie surplus, so aka eating more calories than you're burning. But eating a bit above your maintenance intake creates an environment that's more optimal for building lean muscle. Now, unlike body recomposition scenarios where you're losing fat and building muscle simultaneously, here we're actively pushing you to slowly gain weight. We know that you're not in a calorie deficit and therefore not losing fat. So if you're not gaining weight through the building phase, you're simply not building muscle, likely not building muscle. Now, again, seeing the scale increase is a scary thing for most people at first, but this is 100% necessary to continue to improve your body composition as a more intermediate to advanced trainee. So let's say last time you got super lean, you were approximately 10% body fat at 170 pounds. If the next time you get near 10% body fat, you again weigh 170 pounds, we know you didn't add much, if any, muscle since last time you got this lean. Your body composition composition will be very similar. But if next time you're near 10%, you weigh 180 pounds, we know you have more lean muscle and therefore a much better body composition. Getting heavier at any given body fat percentage over time is a must to actually continue to progress your physique over time. Even when you're super lean, being heavier than you were last time you were here is good. And from, I would say from anecdote, this is more of a struggle for the women that we work with than men. Um, and again, purely speaking from anecdote here, because typically the idea of like seeing the scale increasing, the scale increase is kind of scary. But again, like, hey, if the scale isn't increasing, but your goal is to improve your physique, we're actually just not making progress. All right. So next, diving into making macro adjustments. So you undoubtedly know at least one person who seems to eat whatever they want without gaining weight. Maybe you are that person. Now, in reality, people like this either A, haven't accurately tracked their calorie intake before, or B, they likely eat a lot at times and then subconsciously adapt by going long periods of time without eating. And really, this is extremely common with new online clients that claim they can't build muscle or add weight. See, in response to overfeeding, aka eating in a calorie surplus, some people will naturally, without even being conscious of it, increase NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis, pacing, fidgeting, blinking, etc. This increases your daily calorie burn, calories burned and in turn prevents weight gain, despite the fact that you're eating more. Now, how a client's metabolism reacts to a calorie surplus is highly individual, and really this is the beauty of having a coach, because we can see these trends and adjust the plan specifically to you. So if you're not seeing increases in weight, body measurements, outside of belly measurements, or strength in the gym after two weeks, it's likely time to increase calories. So here I would increase your total calorie intake by about 5% via carbs and continue this weekly until you're gaining in the recommended range. Now, if you're surpassing the recommended rate of gain for two plus weeks, you're likely adding an unwanted excess fat. So here I would decrease calories by 5%, again, likely pulling from carbs or fats if you have some fats to spare. Now here basically we'll repeat this weekly until your rate of gain falls back in the recommended range. Now realize that like all things nutrition and training, this should be individualized and context dependent. I'm speaking to our most common new client with this recommendation, meaning you've already trained for a good amount of time and already are what most people would consider lean, but you want well above average results. So next we're diving into training strategy. So to start things off in month one, training strategy is going to be focused on hypertrophy, aka building muscle. So as discussed, the missing piece from, from the physique most women and men want is taking the time to build a bit more muscle. Now, just eating the right way in itself won't build muscle. A smart science-based training program like our online clients follow is what actually provides your body with the stimulus for building. So your training is just as important as your nutrition here. If this isn't on point, you'll continue to spin your wheels. Now, since our number one outcome here is building muscle over the next few months or over the first few months of the year, the way you're training should be specific to that target outcome. So your first few months of training will be geared specifically towards building muscle, aka hypertrophy. So a few hypertrophy training guidelines 
that you need to understand. Really, these guidelines will help you get the absolute most out of your building phase. And truly, when for the first time ever, your training and nutrition are periodized together in sync, it's a beautiful thing, the results we can achieve from this. I love nerding out over this shit, and it's so cool to see what clients who have either A, know a lot about nutrition, or B, know a lot about training, but have never seen these woven together synergistically into like a year-long plan like this, it's truly so dope to see the level of results that they can achieve. So um, taking it back to our hypertrophy training guidelines, most of our clients are chasing an order of importance. One, aesthetics, and two, performance. So basically, aesthetics and improving your physical appearance are your number one goal. But you also want to feel your performance in your training go to a new level. So think like the way you would imagine a high-level high CrossFit competitor looks and feels, but you're following a much smarter training program. So basically, you have great, you have solid conditioning, you feel capable, you feel strong. But first and foremost, your aesthetics are very solid. You're lean, you have a good amount of muscle. Um, now, if this sounds like what you're chasing, you're in the same boat as 90% of the online clients we work with. Again, essentially, both aesthetic and athletic is how you look. So you probably don't want to be so insanely jacked that you can't walk through a doorway. Um, but again, you want to have a, an above average amount of muscle on your frame. You also want to look leaner and more athletic than most individuals. So here's a glimpse of how we build out our training programs for clients in your shoes. As far as, and there's really a couple keys here. Number one is your training split. So the biggest three things we need to consider when choosing the most effective training split for you, basically how many days per week and what specific way we are organizing your training. One, it needs to provide adequate volume, AKA number of hard sets to stimulate the muscle ability effect that you're chasing. Two, it needs to allow for you to train every major muscle group and movement pattern two times a week or more. Three, it needs to allow you to train in a manner that's fun and engaging for you, which is really an underrated aspect of program design. So as some general recommendations, I would recommend that if you're in the more beginner to intermediate camp, you start training four days a week following an upper lower split or a push-pull push-pull split. So for most individuals who have been following a smart, science-based training program for less than 1.5 years, both of these splits allow for plenty of training volume to continue to progress. If you're not new to the gym, but you are new to following an evidence-based training program like we build for our online clients, this is still an effective place to start. For intermediates, most of the time I would recommend following a five-day-per-week upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, or lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, or upper lower push pull lower split. So here you've been following a smart science-based training program for approximately one to two years, which honestly likely means you've already been following one of the above four day per week splits that I just talked about, but you're starting to see progress slow considerably. See over time your volume needs, which again is the number of hard sets that you're doing to elicit muscle, muscle growth rise. So most will need to add a training day eventually to keep progressing towards their goal physique. So for clients in your position, a five day per week training split is typically the best option. There's lots of room for customization here as well. So for more upper body focus, go with an upper, lower, upper, lower, or upper, lower, upper, excuse me, or upper, lower, push, pull, lower split. For more lower body focus, run a lower, upper, lower, upper, lower split. Really the lower, upper, lower, upper, lower split, we have to be smart with because lower body training is pretty taxing. But if we go about this in a smart manner, this is one that I use a lot for the ladies that we coach who want like, hey, I want a very heavy glute focus. So maybe this is almost like a glute specialization focused building phase for the next three to five months. And really when we're looking at a specialization phase where we're um, pushing volume relatively high for a specific muscle group, Typically, three to four months, i found, is about the upper limit of as long as we can take that, whereas past that point, people start to get more prone to, like, burnout. Um, joints start feeling a lot more beat up relative to the specific muscles we're training, and things like, okay, all of a sudden, my piriformis is excessively tight from the amount that we've been using the specific muscle. So really, when we're talking about specialization phases, in my experience, we can... Those are a good idea to run for several months, but we also want to phase out of them.
All right, so for more intermediate to advanced individuals, I would typically recommend a six day per week push, pull, lower, push, pull, lower, or upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower split. So if you've been following a smart science-based program for approximately two to three years or more now, and have also been taking a relatively intelligent approach to nutrition, you can likely make great gains over the next few months following a six day per week split. Now my personal favorite training split is the push, pull, lower, push, pull, lower split. It allows for two days per week frequency. So basically where I've been able to train every muscle group and movement pattern two days per week, lots of volume, but it's not excessively draining. Now the upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower split is also very effective here as it allows you to rack up a lot of volume per body part. Now this can be a good or a bad thing because training upper, lower, upper, lower, upper, lower, basically touching on everything with three days per week frequency and especially if we're focusing on a majority of compound lifts in each of those movements can get to be very very fatiguing so personally for anyone training six days per week i like a push pull lower push pull lower split a good amount better because we can while we are training with a good amount of volume we can better manage that and training basically we're touching on everything twice a week so fatigue is easier to manage here now, a few things that you need to understand as a whole about training six times per week. First, you don't have to train six days per week to make great progress. Even if you've been training a considerable amount of time, if this just isn't realistic for you for the rest of your, or for the rest of your life or your current life circumstances, you can still make excellent progress following a four day per week or five day per week split. And even if we looked at some very jacked individuals like Jeff Alberts from team 3DMJ is someone that comes to mind. Whereas um, I think he's, what is he? 50? Super, super jacked. Uh, very well-known um, natural bodybuilder who just trains four days a week following an upper lower split. So these are general recommendations, not hard and fast rules. Secondly, if you've been training a good amount of time, one of these higher volume splits might not be needed slash the best fit for you. A big part of what we focus on within, within online coaching is teaching clients how to master execution and get more out of every single set. So often the same amount of volume you've been doing will actually create more stimulus than ever before. If your nutrition and or recovery haven't been on point much during your training career, you likely don't need to train six days per week to see good progress. Um, so here really, again, like so much of, I was just talking to a new client, um, shout out to my guy, Sid, who just signed up from Dubai, actually, for coaching. We're going through a very similar process to this, but um, we were talking about how much, like I could give someone the exact same training program and depending on how you got or how you executed the movements in there, you could get incredible results or very shitty results. So much of this is in the execution, which is why more and more and more we'll have new online clients shoot us form videos, especially in the first couple of weeks. So we can make sure that you just have excellent consistency, excellent execution with your movements, because then you're so much more intentional. Like I have so many clients that I know that their volume needs to elicit good results specific to hypertrophy have reduced a large amount from when they started with me to even just a couple months in because they're able to get so much more out of every set and every rep. All right, and then finally, realize that we can make a major difference by improving how you fuel your training and recovery. So until we have these mastered, more training won't create better results. So stimulus, which comes from your training, plus recovery, which comes from nutrition and sleep, equals muscle growth. But we have to have both pieces of this equation in place. So really, number of training days is essentially just a tool we use to regulate training volume. So if you have solid effort and execution of your movements within your training, which honestly is a big if, you'll likely need to adjust training volume over time to maximize your results. So the question here you're likely asking is, how much volume should I be doing? Now, like all things training and nutrition, again, it's very individual to you. So personally, I like to assess more advanced clients, training performance, recovery, biofeedback, and progress weekly and adjust volume or not adjust volume from there. But some general smart guidelines for you to follow when you're determining 
where your volume should be. So first we have some signs that you're at or near your ideal volume, AKA number of heart sets. One, your strength is consistently increasing, meaning you're usually able to add a rep or a bit of load versus last week's performance on the same movement. Two, you're consistently a bit, but not excessively sore. And three, you're getting good pumps. Signs that you're doing too much volume. One, you feel beat up or run down. Two, motivation to train is low. Three, strength is stagnant or decreasing. And four, you're not getting any pumps. Now it's also key to understand context here because like sometimes this is something we'll do intentionally. The last one to two weeks with a client before a deload will push them past their MRV or maximum recoverable volume because then we're following this with a deload and a couple weeks of relatively easy training. So your body can continue to recover from how hard we just push it and continue to make more progress over those next couple weeks. So again, context is key here. And then finally, signs that it's time to add more volume. One, recovery is good. Two, strength is stagnating. Three, you're rarely sore. Four, no pumps. All right, so the next key to proper training for hypertrophy is smart exercise selection. So when it comes to building, to building, the reality is, or hypertrophy I should say, some exercises are straight up just inherently better than others. So in order for you to get the most out of your time building at the start of the year, understand how to choose understanding how to choose the smartest exercises for hypertrophy is a must. So here are the general guidelines we use when programming for online clients or the boxes that we want to tick. So one, we want to ensure that your target muscle group is the rate limiter. When the goal is building muscle, you want the thing that forces you to eventually stop a movement, AKA the rate limiter to be the specific muscle group or groups that you're targeting. We don't, if you're training, if you're rowing, which of course within and we want your uh, rate limiter to be your back muscles. We don't want you to like, oh man, my grip's so weak, my forearm burns so bad and that's what is causing me to stop the movement. Not the amount of fatigue in my back. So, okay, use wrist straps. Or similarly like, man, on my squats, I don't feel my quads at all, but (laughs) my cardio system is gassed. Okay, wrong, wrong rate limiter. And of course you can take this idea and expand upon it. I would say <laughs> this is one of the most important pieces of all this understand. Two, compoundedness. So basically, compoundedness means that a movement works multiple muscle groups and joints simultaneously, aka compound movements. Compoundedness is important because it leads to more quote unquote bang for your buck and efficiency when it comes to building muscle. Now, this isn't to say that you shouldn't do isolation exercises. Of course, we work some of those in, but most of us simply don't have the time required to build the body composition we want through a program composed purely of isolation work. Three, range of motion. So for example, when squatting, the more knee flexion, aka bending at the knee, you can achieve on the way down, the more quad stimulus you'll get from every single rep because your quads are being forced to work through a greater range of motion. So a lighter squat well below parallel would simulate more muscle growth in your quads than a heavier box squat, given you took both of them to the same RAR target, so the same proximity from failure, due to the greater range of motion and deflection. Now, as an added bonus, a movement with a greater range of motion will also be less taxing on your joints and nervous system because you're using a lighter load, but again, achieving the same or even better stimulus. Thus, the stimulus to fatigue ratio, to quote Mike Isertel of Renaissance Periodization, or not to quote, but this is his concept, stimulus to fatigue. Um, the stimulus to fatigue ratio of a movement with a larger range of motion is better. Four, we want some type of eccentric component to the movement. So we know that muscle damage has a strong correlation with muscle growth. We also know that the eccentric, aka the lowering portion of movement, is where a large degree of muscle damage is happening. So movements without a controlled eccentric will be much less conducive to muscle growth. So it's smart to focus on controlling the eccentric of each rep for about two to four seconds. And finally, we want the ability to overload. So we know that the ability to progressively increase load on a movement over a long period of time is essential to stimulating continuous growth from said movement. So for example, here, if we look at a push-up, okay, and this a push-up probably isn't nothing wrong with push-ups at all, but a standard push-up is like from a loadability perspective and even from a range of motion perspective, of course there's applications for it. But in this specific like 
okay, is a push-up versus a dumbbell bench press? Okay, the dumbbell bench press is likely going to be superior for hypertrophy. Um, all right, so next consideration when it comes to programming for hypertrophy is rep ranges. So since the goal here is building, you want to train in the 5 to 30 rep range because studies do seem to show that as long as you're training relatively close to failure, think three reps or less in the tank at the end of the set, you'll stimulate similar muscle growth. But dipping below the five rep mark means that you'll be you likely won't be providing adequate tension per set to stimulate hypertrophy. So in turn, you would need to do more sets to create the same amount of muscle muscle growth. So generally, focus on progressing your compound movements in the five to fifteen rep range. And the closer we get to isolation exercises, the closer we can get to the ten to thirty rep range. And then finally, we have your progression scheme. Now, this is something in and of itself that I could talk about for hours, so I'll try to keep this brief. But basically, utilizing a smart progression scheme is essential to actually making progress in your training. So <laughs> to keep this as simple as possible, um, one of my personal favorite progression models to use for intermediate to advanced online clients is something like, okay, week one, we're going to start most sets at approximately three RAR and the number of hard sets is relatively low, somewhere around your MEV, aka um, the minimum effective volume you need to basically stimulate hypertrophy. Week two, we're going to decrease by one RAR, potentially out of set. Um, week three, we're going to decrease again. So here we're pushing most sets to one to two reps in reserve. And we can, again, using the volume, um, the volume progression metrics that we looked at above, along with clients training performance recovery, and then actually look at how their strength is improving. Okay. Again, we can potentially add sets. Now realize here, we're not getting too carried away with clients adding sets. Typically like Amy, our first week of a training program, um, we're going to be around two to three sets on most movements. And then the end of the mesocycle week five will be four to five with some threes sprinkled in here on most sets. So it's not an insane increase in training volume. And again, this is also very dependent on how the client's progressing, what we're seeing within biofeedback and recovery, et cetera. But again, then week four, typically around one RIR, one RIR on all sets, um, and potential set increases in some areas. Week five, we're pushing to zero to one RIR on almost all sets. And again, potentially a set increase. But again, please don't get too carried away with the set increases. Um, we want to use our volume determinants we talked about earlier here when potentially increasing the sets. And then week six will typically deload. De now again, this varies by client. So sometimes it'll be four week mesocycles, sometimes five, sometimes six. Um, I found most more intermediate to advanced clients do best with five to six week mesocycles though. All right, so that wraps up month one. Now I know we've covered a lot here, but really this is essential to setting yourself up for a year's worth of successful physique transformation. So really taking the time to absorb all this is essential, but we will be moving faster from here on out. So going into new, or month two, your nutrition strategy is once again building. So you're continuing to follow the nutrition guidelines we talked about before, but by this point, you should have gained approximately 0.5 to 1% of your body weight. Now, remember, since we don't want you in a calorie deficit right now, aka eating fewer calories than you're burning, most should be gaining a bit of weight in order to be gaining muscle. So don't stress the scale increasing right now, because this is exactly what's going to make your physique this year above and beyond anything that you've accomplished before. Now, by this point, you should already be noticing the difference your nutrition is making in your training. You're feeling better fueled, more motivated to train, and making quicker progress in the gym than you have in quite some time. So a few important considerations for month two when it comes to nutrition. One, hunger should be low. So in our online clients metric trackers, we're looking for hunger to be a two or less. See, muscle is a very calorically expensive tissue, meaning that it takes a lot of calories for your body to build and maintain muscle. So if you're hungry often, your body will be sensing the calories are not abundant. When this is the case, it would make sense for your body to prioritize building something. It wouldn't, excuse me, make sense for your body to prioritize building something that takes a large chunk of calories as calories are already sparse, 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 sparse. Hmm. Huh.
And we're going to roll with sparse here. <laughs> All right, so calories are sparse. Damn, that is not right. Sparse. Whatever. Um, moving on from this discussion. So if you're hungry often, again, your body is going to essentially be uh, sensing that it's probably not a smart idea to build muscle because we just don't have the resources. So we consistently want to see hunger in the one to twos during a building phase like this. One being low, five being high in our metro tracker. Because if hunger is high, or so if hunger is high, I would first ensure that you're eating 80 to 90% whole foods because these will keep you much or full much longer than more highly processed counterparts. From there, if you're falling within the desired rate of gain, I would actually just increase macros. Um, next, training performance and recovery should be high. So training performance is a key part of actually triggering the results you want in the building phase. Now, recovery is how you cement those results into tangible changes in your physique. If you're feeling sluggish going into your training or under-recovered, one, ensure that nutrient timing is on point, two, ensure you're sleeping seven plus hours per night, three, ensure you're falling in the desired rate of gain, if not, increase calories, and four, ensure you're taking a deload every four to six weeks. If all of the above are on point and performance and recovery still aren't solid, you likely need to decrease training volume again, a bit. Um, and again, really your volume needs for optimal results are very individual, which is really why this is a big part of what we monitor with online clients constantly. Now your training strategy for month two is hypertrophy. So your body is an adaptation machine. It's extremely skilled at quote unquote getting used to whatever you throw at it. Now, specific to your current goals in the building phase, this means that the same amount of training volume used last month won't stimulate quite as much in terms of building as it did a month ago. So to counter this, we'll typically quote unquote layer on volume, which shout out to Steve Hall. This is a term that I learned from him, but basically we're layering on volume monthly. Now, also understand that the strategy that I'm about to dive into is definitely speaking to the more intermediate to advanced crowd. Beginners, you don't need to stress this too much yet. So here's what I mean by layering on volume. Let's say that through your first mesocycle, aka training phase, you were doing sets of 7 to 10 dumbbell or barbell back squat. Alright, so again, week one, three sets of 7 to 10 barbell back squat. Now in the second mental cycle, so you've completed an entire training phase, we might add in something called a downset to slightly increase your training volume. So implementing a downset for our, for our clients would look something like this. All right, so now, whereas mesocycle one, we would have programmed something like three sets of seven to 10 at three RIR for your back squat. Mesocycle two, Okay, we have two sets of seven to 10 at three RIR, followed by one back squat set, one down set at three RIR. So here, we're not giving you a specific rep range to hit, we're just decreasing the load by 10% from the above and hitting your RIR target. So if you squatted 200 pounds for your first two sets of seven to 10, when we move on to the down set, you're gonna drop 20 pounds and just rep it out until you hit three RIR. So basically you're doing a few heavier sets followed by lighter down sets. Now we've been defining volume so far as number of hard sets, but the most technical definition is sets times reps times weight. Basically this is mathematical volume. So generally a down set will lead to slightly higher rep ranges and more training volume than the heavier set. So by implementing more downsets as your building phase progresses, we're effectively layering on volume, aka increasing your overall volume mesocycle to mesocycle without actually having to dramatically increase, if at all having to increase the number of sets that you're doing or time in the gym. Because we're also bumping against, like most of us just can't keep adding more and more training sets across the mesocycle. Now as an added benefit, Working with these slightly lighter loads will be less taxing on your joints and prevent you from getting beat up as the building phase progresses. All right, so moving on to month three. Here, your nutrition strategy is once again building. So you're continuing to do more of what's already working. So basically be sure that you're seeing the desired rate of gain. And the reality is you likely will feel a bit fluffy by this point. The important thing to remember here is that the building phase is essential to reaching your goal result. 
We always make clear to our online clients the concept that muscle gain happens very slowly, whereas fat loss happens quickly. So basically, gaining one to two pounds of muscle in a month is great progress for an intermediate individual. But a smart with a smart diet, you can lose one to pounds of one to two pounds of fat in a single week. So will you can and will lose any extra bit of fat that you gain quickly in the fat loss phase? You can't go back and make up for months of no progress building due to underfueling your body during the building phase and trying to stay too lean. Now, your training strategy for month three, once again, we're focusing on hypertrophy. Now, by this point, you'll be seeing, a consider- be seeing considerable progress on all of your compound lifts and your strength in the five to 30 rep range, which is pretty indicative that you're building a good amount of muscle already. So similar to last month, when you start your third mesocycle slash training phase, um, slightly increasing the number of downsets relative to your second mesocycle would be smart to continue to layer on volume. So again, maybe we're, um, whereas last mesocycle we had one downset, maybe we're increasing that to two and fewer top sets or heavier sets. Now, also realize that Mesocycles, again, don't always align perfectly with the calendar month as most of our clients' mesocycles last five to six weeks when we include a deload. So very well, this could be, okay, I'm running four-week mesocycles and I'm three months in, or this could be I'm running um, six-week mesocycles and I'm already 18 weeks into the process. But again, we're going by calendar months just to make it easier for you to grasp how we would progress an entire year. All right, so moving on to month four. Here, your nutrition strategy is building. So this is likely your final month or final block of building if you're not following the calendar month. So the reality is, for many, aka following longer mesocycles of training. So the reality is, for many of you, this will be the first time that both your nutrition and training have been working in sync to propel you towards a specific physique goal. So you've also likely seen much quicker progress at this point than ever before. This is extremely common with new online clients as most underestimate how much a smart, individualized approach to nutrition can improve their training and their results. We've taken the first four months of the year to capitalize on the fact that you haven't had both training and nutrition perfectly in sync before and thus are capable of building quicker than you'd expect. So by the end of month four, you should have added a good bit of muscle to your frame, which will result in a much improved physique as you get leaner over the next few months. But now it's time to finish the building phase strong in month four. So really the same nutrition guidelines as before apply. And again, I want to note that this process doesn't always align perfectly with the calendar months. And the more advanced you are, the slower building will typically be. So for more advanced clients following a six-week mesocycle, um, the end of month four would actually be about 24 weeks into this process. So we can also look at months as blocks rather than specifically when I'm defined, talking about months here, you can look at it as like a block of training and a block of nutrition, not necessarily like it has to be four weeks. All right. So your training strategy here, you're going to be implementing a metabolite phase. So over the last three mesocycles, you've been layering on more and more volume, but you can't keep increasing volume linearly forever. So your training volume, quote unquote, peaks relative to your recent training history during the metabolite phase. So here you're going to be adding in even more downsets on many of your compound movements and often slightly decreasing the percentage of load used in downsets. So for example, increasing or decreasing load used by 15% instead of 10%. Now to add to this, we're implementing more intensification techniques. So things like supersets, which of course is two movements done back to back with little to no rest. In the metabolite phase, we're most often using this in a pre-exhaust fashion to target a specific muscle group. So for example, let's say that we're selecting metabolite work for the quads today. Okay, so my metabolite work for today is going to be leg extensions for 15 to 20 reps to one RIR, Superseted with walking lunges for 15 to 20 reps, also to one RIR. And again, your quads are going to be smoked by the end of that. Um, things like drop sets. So here, we're taking a set to or near failure, decreasing the load, and immediately repping out more. So this can be done by, okay, let's say we are doing a... So a good example of this, let's again take it to 
actually let's use uh let's use a barbell hip thrust so let's say again it's a lower body day and you want to do metabolite work for your glutes okay i'm gonna do hip thrust to one rir with 225 on the bar i'm gonna rep out as many as i can i'm going to, to immediately drop the load by 10 percent rep out as many as i can or to one rir drop the load by 10 percent repeat or we can also do, we can also perform drop sets by moving from a mechanically weaker to a stronger position as the set goes on. So for example, one of my fit personal favorite drop sets of all time is a dumbbell incline bench mechanical drop set. So here we're starting with the bench set at a 60 degree, degree incline and we're going to do 8 to 10 reps of a dumbbell incline press. We're going to drop the bench to 45 degrees do eight to 10 more reps, drop to 30 degrees, do eight to 10 more reps, drop the bench to flat, do eight to 10 more reps. So here by adjust, adjusting the bench from, or how we're adjusting the bench, essentially as the set goes on, we're moving you from a weaker position to continuously a stronger position as fatigue sets in. So this allows you to extend the set for an absolutely brutal training effect. So basically there, um, the lower the incline, the stronger you will be. So like that first set at 60 degrees, once we hit eight to 10, we're going to get pretty near failure. But once I drop that bench down to 45 degrees, I can again hit about eight to 10 more reps and you get the idea here. All right. Then we can also implement things like myo reps, for example. So here, um, we could start by taking a weight to or very near failure in the nine to 20 rep range. We'll rest three to five breaths before repeat, before hitting three to five more reps. And then we'll repeat in this fashion. We're going to rest three to five breaths, three to five reps, three to five breaths, three to five reps for three to five total mini sets. So for example, this is something we could apply to like a, let's say that we are focusing today on, uh, delts so it's an upper body day and we're going to attack delts for our metabolite work of the day so i'm going to hit 15 to 20 reps of dumbbell lateral raise two or very near, near failure rest for three to five breaths rep it out for three to five more rinse and repeat three to five breaths three to five reps for three sets and typically we'll progress this like the number of mini sets across the mesocycle as well now there's lots of different techniques you could implement here but I think you get the gist of it. Now, we could really define me metabolic stress as the burning feeling you get when you do an intense set. So basically, metabolites are accumulating in your muscle cells, which leads to cell swelling, hormonal changes, and a variety of other factors that are thought to influence growth. So obviously, in the metabolite phase, this metabolic stress is what you're chasing. But realize that your entire training program should not be supersets, downsets, and myo reps in a metabolite phase. Continue to progress your compound lifts with top sets and downsets. After training your primary lifts, choose one to two muscle groups per training day to implement metabolite techniques with. All right, month five. So your nutrition strategy here is maintenance. For the next month, you're simply sitting at maintenance meaning you're not trying to lose or gain weight. Now, we typically will put a maintenance phase at the end of an extended building phase or fat loss phase for an online client. The reasoning behind this is your body basically needs time to cement all the changes you've made as its new normal, be that additional muscle tissue or a decrease in fat mass. Now, from a habit perspective, this also gives you time to ensure that you know exactly what your lifestyle needs to look like to maintain your results. We're looking for biofeedback to stay in a good place here and weight and body measurements to stay stable. In a nutshell, we're taking the time to establish this as your body's new settling point before pushing for any further changes. And your training strategy here is strength, aka resensitization. Now, as we talked about, your volume needs to elicit considerable progress increase over time as your body adapts to your current amount of training volume. The problem here is... As we increase training volume over time, given intensity is adequate, our body adapts more and more to the style of training. So this means we need to keep increasing volume to further push growth. Another interesting adaptation is your muscle fibers. So your muscles are composed primarily of two fiber types. We have type one slow twitch fibers. These fibers are geared for endurance. They fatigue slowly, but also are poor at creating explosive movement and have very limited potential for muscle growth. 
and we have type 2 fast twitch fibers. These fibers are geared to be explosive. They fatigue much quicker than type 1 fibers, but also have a much greater capacity for growth. Now, whereas it used to be thought the muscle fibers were stuck as either, either slow or fast twitch, it's now been shown that your muscles sit somewhere on a spectrum of slow to fast and move more towards one or the other, depending on your lifestyle and how you train. So when we're training for hypertrophy, which is generally which generally includes lots of relatively higher rep, aka 10 plus rep work, it's thought of it's thought that our muscle fibers actually shift more towards slow twitch characteristics, as an adaptation to the fact that you're hitting your body with primarily higher rep sets, where endurance can become more of a priority than being explosive. So since slow twitch fibers have a smaller capacity for growth, a shift towards slow twitch is obviously not conducive to your muscle growth. Now this is where strength phases or resensitization phases come into play. The goal here is shifting your focus away from building for a period of time in order to resensitize your muscles to lower training volumes. This decreases your volume needs in the future and will allow you to make more progress with lower training volumes. Now, once again, I have to shout out Steve Hall and the team over at Revive Stronger. They deserve the credit for really pioneering this idea of resensitization phases. And really, they have a book, The Primer Phase, an excellent ebook that goes deep into this topic. So in a nutshell, when it comes to implementing the strength phase, aka the resensitization phase, here are the general rules of thumb we use for our online clients. Reps, we're going to keep in the 4 to 8 range. Now, as we'll discuss shortly, the goal in the resensitization phase is to, de to decrease volume and increase intensity. So the lower rep ranges, of course, are more conducive to this. Sets, we're going to decrease by approximately 40% of your minimum effective volume, aka the minimum number of hard sets you can grow on per muscle group. So for example, if you could start seeing glute gains at about 15 hard sets per week, you would decrease to 9. Intensity, meaning load here, should be much higher. So really, I like to frame the resensitization phase as a strength phase for online clients because the increased load per set here, um, well, first of all, the increased load per set here is going to help compensate for the decrease in volume, but also it's just like, rather than, hey, this is essentially just a maintenance phase, if we look at it as, okay, this is a time to focus more on strength, it gets, it's a lot more exciting, it's more fun to progress through. Now, it's also smart to use a progression scheme that brings your sets close to failure over the course of three to four weeks before deloading, but generally you'll be training anywhere from three to one reps in the tank. And again, the length of this is going to be three to four week blocks. Now, post resensitization phase, you can expect to come back to hypertrophy focused training with increased sensitivity to training volume, better pumps, and overall quicker progress. Now, timing this during a nutritional maintenance phase makes most sense because A, calorie needs won't be as high due to the lower training volumes, so this will prevent excess fat gain, and B, Calories won't be as low as in your upcoming fat loss phase, but volume will be much lower during this phase than before. Since it's thought that volume needs are potentially slightly higher during fat loss phases, pairing the lower volume strength phase with maintenance calories is a smart idea to retain all of the progress that you made over the last few months. All right, moving on to month six here. So here your nutrition strategy is fat loss. So now it's time to uncover all the changes you've made to your physique over the last five months. By being patient and committing to long-term periodization, you've set yourself up for a dramatically improved physique. You built a good amount of muscle and likely added a bit of fluff as well. So now we're going to be cutting all the fat from your frame and ideally continuing to build a bit of muscle, although at a slower rate, or at the very least maintaining what you've currently built. Now, when the fat loss phase is over, you'll be as lean, if not leaner than ever before. And with the additional muscle on your frame from your time building, this is the, the recipe for a dramatically improved physique. So a few fat loss phase guidelines for you. One, rate of loss. So generally, most are going to be... Um, most will do best aiming to lose about 0.5 to 1% of body weight per week. We would really put 0.75% of body weight per week as a general good rate of loss during a fat loss phase. And really that's what you'll adjust your macros around. Um, monitoring biofeedback is a good idea. 
And really here, when you're in a fat loss phase, for online clients, we keep a very close eye on uh, a close eye on your biofeedback. And this is really one of the main metrics I use to measure how close a client is to the fat loss wall. Basically, how soon we need to transition you to the next phase of nutrition periodization. So, some signs it's almost time to end your fat loss phase include multiple weeks of high hunger levels, high cravings, low motivation, and poor mood. Now, as far as your training strategy in month six goes, here, for many online clients, we would shift towards what I call performance hypertrophy. But in a nutshell, you have two options here for your training. I'm specific to your goal of improving aesthetics dramatically over this year. One, you can essentially start the process over that we broke down in the first five months, choosing new exercises that you want to progress or keeping the same in if they haven't gone stale. Or two, you can continue to follow a similar style of training, but with a few tweaks to make it more of a performance hypertrophy approach rather than straight hypertrophy. So in this performance hypertrophy style of training, we're following, a very, or we're following very similar guidelines as far as exercise selection, rep ranges, and progression schemes, but we're also implementing more smart strategic conditioning. So in a nutshell, this means energy system training that will both help push your fat loss along quicker and help ramp up your performance. And really, this can take on multiple forms for clients. So it could be an entire day devoted to conditioning, something like, okay, we're going to hop on the rowing machine. Week one, we're going to get five sets of 1,000 meters at a two-minute per 500-meter pace with two minutes rest. Week two, we're going to hit five sets of 1,200 meters at a two-minute per 500-meter pace. Week three, we're going to hit four sets of 1,500 meters at two minute for 500 meter pace. And week four, we're going to hit three sets of 2,000 meters at a two minute for 500 meter pace. So basically here, the goal is increasing the time that you can sustain the same level of performance, which is one of the staples of programming for your aerobic system for energy system progressions within your aerobic system. Or this could take the form of something like train day finishers that are effective both for building muscle and conditioning. So this could be something like, okay, we're going to be doing an AMRAP or AKA as many reps as possible or as many rounds as possible in this case. So week one, we're going to be doing five minutes straight of rowing machine. We're going to burn 10 calories, 10 to 20 deficit pushups. And maybe you're wearing a weight vest through this process. And then you're going to do a heavy ass farmer's walk with kettlebells for 50 meters. We're going to get as many rounds of that as possible in, in five minutes. Week two, we're going to do the same thing but for six minutes. Week three for seven minutes. Week four for eight minutes. So again, while we are like we're doing deficit weighted push-ups, we're doing farmer's walks. So we're training your upper back, your chest, and your core here for muscle growth. This is also an aerobic progression. We're progressing your aerobic system, your aerobic base here, because again, we are over time gradually increasing the amount of work that you can sustain. So because we're progressing five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes, but we're also along with progressing your aerobic system and your ability to recover because those two do somewhat go hand in hand to an extent. Um, we're also burning more calories doing this. And then finally we can use more tools like supersets and EMOMs in a smart manner. So something like, okay, we're gonna run an eight minute EMOM here. You are going to do um, alternate at the top of every minute. First, so minute one, you're gonna do eight to 12 dumbbell bent rows. Minute two, you're gonna do 10 to 15 dumbbell deficit pushups, or, and it could really even be like a dumbbell bench press, right? Um, but basically here, we're still ensuring that you're getting adequate training volume to ensure that you're progressing or at the very least maintaining your current level of lean body mass. But we also know that you're not going to be able to build quite as quickly in a fat loss phase. So to keep your training engaging and challenging, we're focusing more on performance. And again, the increased calorie burn will slightly speed up fat loss as well. All right, moving into month seven. So here, your nutrition strategy is going to be fat loss. Outside of potentially adjusting nutrition to ensure you're falling in the desired rate of gain, no adjustments are likely needed here. And your training strategy, once again, is going to be performance hypertrophy. Similar to nutrition, you're continuing to follow, follow the progression we've laid out. And it's really unlikely that you'll need any major adjustments here. Now, along comes month eight. Nutrition strategy, once again, 
fat loss. Now by this time you've cut off a good chunk of fat and should be seeing a much improved physique. After eight months of hard work, this is really where you start to see the fruits of your labor, as you're unveiling a body composition that's above and beyond anything that you've achieved before. Now you're also eight to 12 weeks into the diet by this point, which means it's smart to take a diet break at some point this month. So a few guidelines for implementing your diet break. As far as frequency, every six to 12 weeks is smart for most. Really the leaner you are, the more frequently it often makes sense to take these as you are at a higher risk for muscle loss and your body has less fat stores to pull from, from for energy. Duration is gonna be one to two weeks for most. As far as calories, total calories should be returned to somewhere between your current deficit calories and your current estimated maintenance calorie intake. Now, which is pretty obvious. Now, as we're not sure that returning exactly to maintenance produces all the physiological benefits we once thought it did, a diet break doesn't have to return calories all the way to maintenance levels. That said, to reap the psychological benefits of a diet break, we want to make sure that calories are high enough to keep hunger and cravings low across the course of the break. So for most online clients, I found that this means the deficit should be at least cut in half. So if you were in a daily deficit of 500 calories, we would add back 250 calories per day. As far as macros, protein should stay somewhere between 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Basically, don't decrease your current intake. Increase carbs to refill glycogen stores. Um, and then it's likely most optimal to increase calories to maintenance almost exclusively via carbs, keeping protein and fat where they were on the diet. Again, just from the perspective of we're going to refill your glycogen stores, training performance and recovery are going to be improved. Food choices, keep your food choices pretty similar. If this is drastically different on the diet break, than it was during the diet, then you'll likely be less satiated than you were before and it'll actually be harder to overeat despite the fact that you are eating more calories. Now your training strategy for month eight is once again, performance hypertrophy. You're still following the progression model we've laid out so in depth through this podcast. So by this point, you'll be feeling lean and well-conditioned in your training. All right, so moving on to month nine. Here, your nutrition strategy once again is fat loss. Now the reality is this is your final month of fat loss. Your physique looks much different than it did nine months ago. And that's not by accident. By actually taking the time to focus on building first, you've finally broken free from always dieting but never feeling as lean as you want, thanks to the additional muscle on your frame. Our training strategy in month nine is once again performance hypertrophy. Really no changes here, although it's smart to follow a similar progression to your first building phases across the four months of the fat loss phase, I wouldn't likely run a metabolite phase here because you're in a calorie deficit and your body is much leaner than it's been in quite some time. So basically just not ideal conditions for something like a metabolite phase, which is very taxing and much better suited for a building phase. All right, so month 10, our nutrition strategy is reverse dieting. So reverse dieting is the process we use to find your new maintenance intake after you've achieved your goal level of leanness. We implement this process when you're completely done focusing on fat loss for the near future. Now, coming out of a deficit is a scary process for most people, especially if your client's weight has rebounded in or your weight has rebounded post-diet in the past. And really, even for our clients that are coaches themselves, the fear of coming out of a calorie deficit is super real, which is understandable. Now, this is the best time to remind clients or yourself that it all comes down to energy balance. If you've been losing approximately one pound per week, you're eating approximately 3,500 calories less than you burn in a week. So we know that to maintain, you can add back in about 3,500 calories to your diet on a weekly basis or 500 calories per day without worrying about fat gain. Gaining even one pound of fat would require eating 3,500 calories more than your maintenance intake. If you have a smart plan for the diet after the diet, like we provide within online coaching, you don't need to worry. So diving into that actual plan for the diet after the diet, aka the reverse diet, here are a few guidelines. One, step one I should say, return to about 90% of your estimated maintenance intake. 90% instead of 100%, just to be sure we don't overshoot maintenance, as clients generally want to take extra precautions here to avoid excess fat gain. Now, most of the increase in calories here will come from carbs, which give you more physiological benefits plus better training and recovery, given you're already eating above 0.3 grams fat per pound of body weight daily. 
Now, this is really the fat threshold clients need to hit for hormonal health and preventing fatty acid deficiencies. Step two, watch how this impacts your weight and measurements. Really, one of the biggest mistakes people make post-diet is that they suddenly stop hopping on the scale and taking body measurements. This is a huge problem because this is the exact data we use to determine how the amount you're currently eating is impacting your body composition. Without this data, it's easier to regain fat as you're not sure how your body is changing. Now, we're expecting you to see a few pounds of weight gain due to increased glycogen storage and gut content, and it's also normal to see an increase in the two inches below the navel measurement, which is one of the measurements that we have our online clients take, because this is simply the one that's most reactive to your gut content. Really, we'll typically see both these gains in weight and the two inches below the navel measurement in weeks one and two of the reverse diet. But we shouldn't see any major shifts in any of these metrics. Now, step three is simply adjust your nutrition based on the metrics. So after the first one to two weeks of the reverse diet process, where again, some increase in weight and measurements is normal, we're looking to increase calories to basically start pushing your maintenance calories up. But again, tracking metrics is key to knowing that what the client is doing with their nutrition or what you're doing with your nutrition is leading to maintenance and not gaining. Now your training strategy here is hypertrophy. So across the reverse dieting process, we're feeding you more and more calories. Thus your body will be better able to handle more training volume than you likely could during the diet. And you can start making quicker progress building again. So if you're running four-week mesocycles or training phases, it would make sense to transition back to a more hypertrophy-specific style of training, i.e. how you were training during the building phase. But again, most of our online clients run five to six-week mesocycles. So the end of the fourth mesocycle, after which we'll typically implement a strength phase, would actually align perfectly with the end of the reverse diet coming up in month 11. All right, so speaking of month 11, let's dive into it. So here, once again, your nutrition strategy is reverse dieting. Now, this is likely when your reverse diet will end because it's typically a four to eight week process for online clients. Now, the degree to which we can increase a client's maintenance without fat gain is primarily dependent on how adaptive their metabolism is slash how much they tend to increase need as a respond to consuming more calories. So for some online clients, this process only lasts a few weeks, whereas for others, we can ramp maintenance up for quite some time. So a few signs to look for when it comes to ending your your reverse diet. One, we're looking for trunk measurements and weight to stay relatively stable, meaning or really understand, but really understand that fluctuations of plus or minus about a quarter inch are normal for most measurement sites, um, both at maintenance and in the building phase. But larger increases here consistently indicate that you've likely passed maintenance. Now, really, when we're looking for the signs of fat gain versus, hey, like this is just a muscle glycogen, or maybe I've even built a bit of muscle in maintenance, one thing we look for often is your trouble spot. So most online clients will have a quote-unquote trouble spot that they really wanted to focus on losing fat from during the diet. Conveniently, the last place we seem to lose fat from also seems to be the first place we regain it. This means, and I really have no science to prove this, only anecdote, but I've seen it hold up so many times over and over again. This means that in the case where a client is gaining a bit of weight, but you think it could be muscle, not fat, it makes sense to look at measurement increases at their trouble spot as a sign that you're potentially gaining fat. So basically for 90% of clients, your trouble spot will be either your navel measurements or occasionally your hips. If we start to see consecutive weeks of measurement increases at a trouble spot, it's a good sign that body fat is being gained and it's time to stop the reverse diet, decrease calories by approximately 100%, or not 100%, by 100 calories, and make sure that we're sitting, not seeing any more increases. Next thing we're looking for here is biofeedback to be normal. So we all have a certain body fat percentage floor. Below this body fat percentage floor, you'll struggle with hunger, being food focused, low energy, poor hormones, and building muscle is very unlikely. See, many of your hormones are a product of the amount of body fat you're carrying. So no matter how much food you're eating, you'll still feel shitty below your body fat floor. Well, you can dip below this floor for short periods of time. So for example, for a photo shoot, living below it is not healthy or sustainable. So the reality is, occasionally clients will have to add back a bit of body fat in order to return biofeedback to healthy levels and quit feeling like a zombie. So if a client's biofeedback or your biofeedback 
aka the weekly measures our clients submit for things like sleep, stress, motivation, mood, training performance, etc., is still poor, you likely just need to continue to reverse diet and be okay with, hey, maybe I need to gain a bit of fat to be back, be back to a healthy place, or understand that if you want to stay as lean as you are, the trade-off is likely biofeedback won't be great. But similarly, normalized biofeedback is a good sign that you can end the reverse diet process. And training strategy is once again hypertrophy, really the same approach as month 10 applies here. And here we are, month 12. So once again, your nutrition strategy is maintenance in month 12. And again, we're at month 12. It's an entire year. You did it. An entire year of smart, periodized, and science-based training and nutrition. Now, if the year that I just laid out for you sounds completely foreign, realize that's probably a sign that it's time to change your approach. Because if what you're currently doing was working, I can guarantee you wouldn't have listened for this long. Now, with this strategy, you've added a good amount of muscle to your body in the building phase. You maintained or even continued to build on said muscle during the fat loss phase. Now, you're undoubtedly at a physique that's above and beyond anything you've ever achieved. Similar to month five, it's time for us to submit this result as your body's new normal with a maintenance phase before setting new targets for the next year, 2022, where your physique is going to go to new heights yet. Training strategy is once again strength, aka resensitization. Just like before, another strength phase to resensitize your body to training volume and push you in a good place to push towards your next goals. And that my friends, is how to plan and periodize your most effective year of training and nutrition yet. Now, if these advanced strategies that we've discussed today sound like what you've been missing, if you're ready to stop guessing and start achieving, click the link in the show notes to apply for online coaching with our team. We apply proven, science-backed nutrition and training methods through individualized coaching to help you get the body you want and teach you how to keep it for a lifetime, even after we're done working together. And that is what I have for you guys for today. As always, I appreciate you tuning in.